Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Everything Sequel presents Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, Part 2. When last we left our intrepid hosts, Tom bamboozled Mike with Tatooine slang, while Mike shared his affection for a low-stakes regional fringe sporting event upon which the fate of slaves is decided. Taxation! Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This, of course, is the Phantom Menace Edition. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. The man you just heard killing it. Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. What else do you have for him, Tom? My maker! Of all the things that C-3PO could call Anakin, they have to pick the one yeah. thing that complica- complicates <laughs> everything we know. I know. Except he's been saying that since the original series. I mean, he gets his oil bath in Star Wars. And That's what I mean. It, yeah. He says, that, thank the maker, but but did you? But now the maker is, is him. Darth right. Vader, yeah. who he's running away from. <laughs> That's why that choice is stupid. Yes. <laughs> it's been a theme for me. Yeah, there is a lot of stupid choices in this film. <laughs> We're back, by the way. Yes, we are. Thanks for this taking is, a uh... break, everybody. <laughs> Whenever we talk Star Wars, we talk for a long time, as we feel yeah, is a, necessary. It's a compulsion. Yeah, mm, so... yeah, it really is. So, uh, you know, we, we break these episodes up for you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it would be like the five-hour cut of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're back. Now, were we yep. at the pod race or right before the pod race? Right before. Um, so Because there's doing... some, one thing I didn't talk about yep. that I do want to bring up. Oh, dear God, we're never going to get out of here. Go on. <laughs> well, when he's first working on his pod. Yeah. Mm. And uh, everybody's kind of all around. And it's when Jar Jar, you know, is fucking around with his wrenches and he's dropping shit in the <laughs> sand. And then he numbs his tongue and lips. Yep. I, Prime fucking around. <laughs> I can still remember to this day seeing a commercial for The Phantom Menace maybe two or three days before mm. the movie came out. And that's the part where I that I saw where I said to myself, uh-oh, I don't think I trust this movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, pot- potentially you, you could still suspend disbelief that that was just a throwaway comic moment. I suppose, uh, but... And that he was a completely incidental character. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's... It, you know, you know when you get a feeling, you, you like, you just... you, you I, I, I remember seeing that moment and thinking to myself, this is what George Lucas is going to lean into. And oh, interesting. I, I don't I, like I, it. 
I mean, I think historically you could see see it coming via the Ewoks. And, you know, if, if you were paying attention to what Lucasfilm were doing in the interim with young Indiana Jones and the like, mm. you'll see the, the seeds of of the prequels there. Which And young Indiana Jones was also Rick McCallum. That's a totally, um, like, a perfectly good, it's a cogent argument. Yeah. And yet, I, I don't know, for some reason, even as an adult, I see a fundamental difference between Ewoks and Jar Jar. Oh, the, I, there is. There the, is a fundamental difference, but... I mean, and I mean it's, it's beyond leaning, leaning they're real the and he's direction. not. <laughs> Which I think helps right. the Ewoks a great deal. No, I think I think there's huge differences, but it definitely it definitely opened the floodgates. I think. Yeah. Okay. Also, Jabba's palace. You know, I mean, it, it, there's a similar. You know, if you whole sequences sustained by Muppets. You know, uh, that <laughs> there's. Yeah, but you could say that about the bar scene in the first one, and that one plays like no. a bar scene. I, it, you know, it wasn't, and I also, 30 min- it wasn't 30 minutes long and, you know, mostly non-human interaction. That's true. But I also think I also think there's a difference between the original Jedi and the and the reissue. Because I think it's it, what you're talking about feels worse in the reissue. But that had already happened, right? The spe- yeah, the special editions. Uh, I should say that is the. Um, that's what you should be paying attention to if you yeah. wanted to know how the how the prequels were gonna right um, right come to fruition. That's that's where he's announcing his presence. Absolutely. <laughs> this is what and, I and, this and, is and, what and, I think of Star Wars right now. And as you said in the previous episode, this is this is restrained compared to the special mm-hmm. edition. Right. So it's almost like he pulled back, from which does seem crazy when you think about it. I mean, I think it you, does. I think, I think you said in the episode in our last episode that it does seem that George Lucas listened, which in and of, in and of itself feels like a miracle, right? Because he's not listening well, to he, anything about from anyone about anything. He listens, but he 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 also you know he listens. He implements whilst also biting back simultaneously. It's a, yeah. it, and I, again, when we get into Attack of the Clones, I have a lot to say about that. And, mm-hmm. and it can be an intoxicating mixture of do over and double down. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but I, I think I said before on this on this very podcast that I think um, on last year's Star Wars episodes that that the special edition I think is the the, the peak of uh, George George Lucas's crimes against art. Mm-hmm. And the prequels to me comes nowhere near the same culpability. I'm going to have to agree with you. Yeah. I'd never given that much thought, but you're absolutely right, I think. I think it's far more egregious, uh, the hatchet job he did on those movies versus, you know, Im- imperfect. And a, a trilogy that is yeah. that is imperfect doesn't necessarily uh, work. Mm-hmm. But is nonetheless coherent in and of itself. Right. All right. Uh, where exactly were we? I th- I seem to remember having a, a a lengthy discussion about midi chlorians. Yes, we 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 had just <laughs> we just done that. Um, we we talked about the um the political cartoon going on in the background. Yes. Of one of the shots. Oh, you and know what else? Next... 
Sorry, oh, I, God. I, I, I'm so sorry. Star Wars Interrupt Episode One, Part One Point Five. <laughs> but it speaks to my it speaks to my Jar Jar comment earlier because okay. I well, there was one thing that I don't think I've ever picked up on before, mm. and it's C three PO at one point says I find that Jar Jar creature very odd. And I just yeah. made a I made a note that he's saying out loud what the audience must have been thinking all along. And in that moment, you know, you you realize that we're we're building this repertoire of sidekicks. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Jar Jar. Now we've got both of the droids. Then a bunch of kids appear. It's like a mm-hmm. Justice League's worth of sidekicks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot of wonder twins going on. Yeah. Including Warwick Davis's Wald, who we should Yeah. You know, who who who, I, who will play an who will play another character in about ten minutes. I just it's <laughs> it's so strange to me when I watch rewatch this movie and see him in the crowd for the pod race. Hmm. Filmed as though we were supposed to know who he is 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 the feeling I get. Right, and it's and... totally nonsensical. It may it just just throws me and this for a is, loop every time why he's in that part in the way that he is. I guess from a, you know, because of Willow, they're like, he's a he's somewhat of a face. Yeah. Letting him show his face, I guess, if you if you if you, you know that he was wicked, mm-hmm. um, then that's, a, you know, metaphilmically, that's a big deal. Um, but this is, you know, one of the rare instances where the the Disney era kind of doubles down on the prequels because he's playing the same character in Solo when he reappears. Mm-hmm. And yet this, we have the same thing there where we're like, oh, it's Warwick Davis playing another yeah, right. character. And then it turns out, you know, nothing is said in the movie, but it turns out that that's <laughs> the same guy who is at the pod race for some reason. So it's it's sort of... I think Warwick Davis is both a through line and also just, you know, a kind of cameo king at the same just time. Just a cameo. Yeah, he's a cameo wildcard. They want to turn him into the Bruce Campbell of this franchise, yeah, I right. think, is what's going on. <laughs> with no dialogue, no jokes, no character, no nothing. And often not with a face. Right. Well, uh, should we talk in earnest about uh, this pod race? Well, I've got stuff to say before the pod race, okay? All right, all right. <laughs> I'm not. Fine. I'm not the only one who. I'm, you're not the only one who could clunk up this opening, um, <laughs> because we've got to make the side bet, right? Oh yeah, the yeah, key, yeah. The side bet that's going to free Anakin. You're right. We haven't gotten that far. Um, and to say this is kind of trivializing human life is is isn't is an understatement. I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> You know, if you've experienced slavery even secondhand, this this uh, scene must come across as quite uh, quite cold <laughs> and heartless. Yes, I think the thing that always surprises me whenever I watch this movie is is the ease with which the character of Qui Gon has no problem with slavery. It seems it's you know, yeah. it's it's what? it's more like. A blackjack dealer who's leaving to... the table, yes. you know, it's like yeah. nothing I can do. <laughs> Sorry, you know, nothing in my powers says that I should stop slavery. It's 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 just how the world's run in this uh, galaxy far, far away. Nothing I can do. 
Interesting. Well, he lives in the galaxy. He's not far, far away from the galaxy. That's true. <laughs> he is a he's a part of it and connected yeah. to the the political elite. So he could have right. influence if he wanted to. <laughs> um, yeah, I, when he says, you know, I didn't come here to free slaves. I keep expecting him to follow it up with, like, I came here to chew, <laughs> chew gum and Bubble kick gum ass. And I kick mean, ass, like, yeah. what, what, like, what is, <laughs> what does it matter, you know? <laughs> um, but he does, but he frees, he frees Anakin, but not his mother. And the difference between her freedom and it's that he's both supposed of to bring freedoms. balance to the Force. He's a Jedi. Well, also, you know, he can control, he can control how that dice moves. So, presumably he could he could control it so that it allowed shmi to be freed as well i don't know well don't it's, they talk uh, about that though the, i mean i think i think he well, tries I guess as a, and it's Watto never said, says no it, go like there's no way well, i'm getting but this is all, all the slaves. no attach all the no attachment stuff is in the next movie but mm -hmm. uh, you know i think looking back you can see that Qui-Gon didn't want her around complicating things. Yeah, yeah. And I think Lucas probably knew enough to know that he was going to kill her in the next movie and that that was going to be a catalyst for the character. Yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. Killed but, it too soon, I think. But I, I also don't think... The one thing that never jives well with me in this moment is I, I don't think Watto would give up the kid. I don't think he'd put him up. Even on a bet, even on chance. Yeah, but the film has, he's it, too has, valuable. has an explanation for that, which is he's blinded by greed. He's blinded by greed. All right, I mean, he see he sees a chance to take the whole pot, and you know they, they've set this up by saying the weak everyone's weakness here is gambling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like anything in Star Wars. If one thing happens on a planet, it applies to everyone on that planet. Yeah, but he knows this enough. is the gap. This is the gambling planet. <laughs> I get that, but he also knows enough about He's Jedi gambling. powers to know that yeah. someone's trying well, to use a Jedi mind trick on him. So why doesn't he know that? Yeah, that the I'm not saying I'm not saying those two things add up. Okay, fine. <laughs> As I said in the previous episode, <laughs> it should have been Boss Nass who resists the Jedi mind trick and Watto who succumbs to it. All right. All right. Yeah, no, I, 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 there are still inconsistencies, but <laughs> just a different inconsistent, an inconsistent inconsistency. There you go. Which this movie is full of. All right, are you finished now? I think so, yeah. <laughs> because this ends up well, being... Well, go, go, you have a lot to say about the pod, pod race. Well, I was going to say that this ends up being my favorite part of the entire probably first three trilogy like, movie, movies. I like, I like how you said ends up being, because not <laughs> no, only... Hang on, I have a point to make. Okay, yeah. but but not, but not only... I just want to say, not only are you starting with a qualifier, <laughs> yes. but it's an entirely correct summation of this sequence, but go on. Yeah. Uh, I love the pod race. I, okay. I think it's a... All of it? I, well, hang, I, I think it's a fantastic bit of filmmaking. Mostly. Answer the question! <laughs> but I'll say this. The first time I saw it, and every time I've seen it since, it doesn't start well. When I see that no. two-headed group of sports, that's two-headed sports announcers, I just constantly want to wither into a pool of my own anger. Yeah. 
because they're it's it's a baffling choice to me. They're so over the top silly. I'm baffling. I can't. I I I honestly, whenever I look at them, I can't believe they didn't hire John Madden. That's how ridiculous they are. Well, you know who they did hire. Like they should have just made it John Madden. They hired Greg Proops and Scott Caporo. I know. But this is baffling. This is even. I mean, the the thing that's most baffling about it is, it you know, in a in a piece of science fiction, we're unable to keep the illusions to our own world stable when you have stuff mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. because it remind because it's just it's too much a part of our world. It's too specific. That kind of spectator sport commentary is too specific right. to our world. It's it's impossible to buy into it in the world of Star Wars. Right. And added to that, they hired two comedians, both of whom are stand-up comedians, and they only let one of them speak. <laughs> Scott Caporo was like overdubbed with alien nonsense. So it's just Scott Caporo's body. <laughs> And in a way, you know, it, not that I'm saying logic applies to any of this, but if you were going to make one of them silent, I'd make the one known for improv silent. Right. Because he's <laughs> probably going to have a better grasp of slapstick. Yeah. But no, it's Greg Proops is doing all the heavy lifting verbally. <laughs> I mean, he is a good he is a good verbal quipster, though. Yeah. And he had, you know, the, he, if you ever hear the uh, Matt Gawley's I Was There Too, where he interviews Greg Proops about doing this he, he did it very very quickly with limited information as to what was going on so <laughs> did the best job he could of course that's how it went and then straight after this we get the roll call of all the pod racers mm-hmm. which is like a kind of inversion of the cantina scene because it's all one continuous shot mm-hmm. or at least it looks like it is it's difficult to tell in these movies right and you kind of, instead of like cutting away to a new alien in a montage, essentially, which is what they do in the cantina scene, we just we just do a, a we track right sideways and see each new alien as we go. It's also a little bit of an inversion of the bounty hunter scene from Empire Strikes Back. A little. Well. In the, you hardly see them. <laughs> And you see nothing but these races mm-hmm. in the shot. Yeah. But I also think it's a mixed bag because there are some that I think look okay. And there are some where I think, well, what, you know, let's take a second pass. Why, why do some look good and some look bad? Yeah. Yeah. And then farting camel. Sorry, just to bring us down even further. It's not going well, is it? No segue. Your, your favorite sequence in the in the movie is not going great so far. Yeah, um, no, this is not the strongest part of my of my favorite sequence. And in a way, I would have preferred just a fart, uh, just a fart joke. But <laughs> you have you have the OP turning around and looking Jar Jar in the eyes. So, you know, there's needless sentience there, right? It's like... It reminds me... It reminds me of a, a, a bit I saw in Colbert where it was something about, you know, in a men's locker room 
and it was like all the things you shouldn't be doing in a locker room. And basically the cartoon picture is of a naked old man with his leg up and like a dryer drying his ball sack or something like that. Except for some reason, the old man is making direct eye contact with you, you know? That's a (laughs) hundred. Needlessly. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, but this, again, it's hard to... I was going to say unsee, but unhear is is, is better because, you know, there's an Opie in the final shot of Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. And every time I see that final shot, I expect it to fade out with a... (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, you know, when the Obi-Wan Kenobi series comes out, he's on an Opie for most of the first episode. And how they resisted the low-hanging fruit of not having that Opie fart at least once... I don't know. Especially as he's feeding him this whale meat. Yeah. You know, it could have been like Rusty in the in the Marble Rye episode of Seinfeld. That would have vastly improved that show for me, quite frankly. And then we get uh, um, Sebulba quoting Jabba from the future. Mm-hmm. In one of our, you know call back forwards yeah. that we get in prequels. <laughs> uh, and if you didn't catch that it was a Jabba quote that he was pre-quoting. Bantha fodder? Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you'll see Jabba pretty soon. Yeah, right. In all his special edition glory. Yeah. <laughs> Which I is mean, to say no, no glory no at all. No glory at all. They have not been able to get that right no. Not once since that magnificent artwork of a puppet yeah. that they used in Jedi. And they should they should have just abandoned ever having Jabber on screen again because mm-hmm. I don't think that's it's how good real. he looks in Jedi. Right. And and I think it's unrealistic to expect them to recreate that. Yeah. That kind of set of circumstances in which that puppet was created. But you know, knowing that you can't get that should be the reason why you never do it again. They can't even get Bib Fortuna right. <laughs> <laughs> Which always surprises me whenever I see this movie. Yeah. I think, why can't they get that right? They they can take a still photo of what the fuck he looked like in Jedi. Match this, George, please. George has been, you know, sitting in his desk ruining it for a good few years. He should remember. <laughs> right. Um, but it's like, but you know, it's return of Return of the Jedi, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, We're back on yeah. Tatooine, Jabba, Biv Fortuna, Bantha Fada. So I guess, and I guess Jabba. And that's the, you know, it's it's hard to, it's easy to forget sometimes. That's the last Star Wars film proper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Return of the Jedi doesn't seem that way now, and there's so many of them, right. and we can't keep. You know, we can't keep track of the chronology now. There's so there's so much Star Wars media. It's so but deep. at the time, this it's a straight line from here to, um, from from Jedi to here. I'm not even sure it makes narrative sense. How far of a reach does Jabba <laughs> I'm have? I'm certain it. I'm certain it doesn't make narrative sense. You know, I I I don't know whether this was a playground. This is supposed to be a different he- city on a different part of the planet. It's not most Eisley. I, yeah, but this is the thing, like, I don't know if it was my headcanon or whether someone on the playground said this, but I always assumed that that was Jabba's, Jabba's dad. And then when the other mm. Jabba comes, when the other hut comes out, 
Jav- it looks. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why I thought this. I mean, the d- d- the huts are pretty big anyway, but in my head. The other one was the mother and Jabba was inside her belly. I, I feel like someone said that to me at some point. Because that would make more sense if, if that Jabba was gestating in his mother's tummy at that point. Right. Um, and this was like, you know, this was like Joe Fortuna or something. Bib's dad. Joe Fortuna. <laughs> the Fortunas um, have been surfing the Jabba's for centuries. That makes more sense. But that that's that something that you can that you can buy as plausible. But, but the it also lends lived... itself towards like you know the 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 sitcom of this of this entire yeah. franchise. You know, it, uh, Fortuna working with Jabba the Hutt, and there's a misunderstanding every half hour episode. Yeah, like Smithers and Mister Burns. Yeah, that ends up with a yeah <laughs> Jabba the Hutt yeah. karate chop. Yeah. <laughs> But I that's guess he easier does that to three PO, but yeah, it, it's easier to believe that, that Jabber has been in control of of his territory for the past what thirty years. Yeah, right. By the time of Return of the Jedi, because you know, if you've seen Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. like basically after Jabber's gone, he you know there's a power <laughs> vacuum there, and there's about three different people who take the reins. So. Yeah. It, it's it's hard to square all of that, uh, especially when you don't need this. Yeah. I mean, I well, I don't know. Part of this is really just a kind of greatest hits, pa- hits package. Every Tatooine alien is seen at some point during the pod race. Mm-hmm. The Jawas, the Tusken right. Raiders, or whatever the politically correct term is now. I think we've gone back to Tusken Tusken Raiders. I guess. Not allowed to call them sand people anymore. Definitely not sand. <laughs> definitely not sand people. I definitely know we're not calling them sand people. It was only racist Obi Wan who calls them that. <laughs> no, I think and, and Luke and, first calls them sand people. Well, where do you think he got it from? He hadn't even met Ben yet. Well, no, he had because he has. <laughs> I mean, I mean, before Obi Wan came out. But he has anyway. He does say he's met him before. All in right, so fine. many words. Anyway. Um, but they shouldn't have done what they did where he, you know, bought him the plane and everything. <laughs> the shuttle, sorry, not the plane. Anakin gets two seconds of training from Qui-Gon and now he's invincible. <laughs> so, I don't know if it's just Skywalkers or is this is this how easy it is to trade the Jedi? It, it, he's, he also it doesn't really take... Because he can't even start his fucking speeder because it's been sabotaged. Yeah. And that's another thing that, you know, I feel like I'm going to start Halloween 2018 in this because I've announced it no, as my this favorite is where, part. No, this, is, this but, is where it turns. It's front-loaded with so much nonsense. Yeah. And then it starts to get good. But when the race starts and every time his pod doesn't start, I think, well, he'd never catch up. <laughs> like, no. he, there's no way. Absolutely, absolutely no way. But, but you know, but once I, you suspend I, your disbelief for that, yeah, you know, and once it starts in earnest, I mean, you know, it's just visceral filmmaking. Yeah, that probably goes it's on for too exciting... long, but it's it's so exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, it's, it, it's even longer than it was on release. They they added yeah. scenes to it, and you know, it's it the same thing strikes me every time I see it. Like this, like if you look outside of the con the immediate context, it's so low stakes. 
Mm -hmm. Right. You have to really manufacture those stakes to make it seem important. But it's still the most exciting event in the in the movie so far. I like how it visually references the trench run. Right. I think it. I think it kind of shows that you know if you're looking for a connection with the original trilogy, you don't get it in terms of storytelling or character. You get it in terms of visual uh, symmetry, visual yeah. kind of overlap. And George Lucas has spoken about that. You know the the famous quote or the, or infamous quote of, "It's like poetry; it rhymes." <laughs> you know that's how he saw the connection between the prequel trilogy and the original. That that there are allusions to. There are indirect allusions throughout, but more on a visual level. Well, this a, pod race reminds level. when I watch it, it reminds me of our conversation of the speeder chase in Jedi. Yeah, because I think, and of course, it's the same person behind it. The George sound and, and all, Burt. you know, we talked yeah. about the sound and all of that, and that's what mm -hmm. really strikes me. When yeah, and I think I think it's interesting to. You know, it does go on for too long, but it's interesting to watch them go over the same terrain more than once. Yeah. And, and the, you know, hearing different pods as they round a certain corner, you know, that certain corner they go around where there's a rock it's, it's, that they have yeah. to avoid to their right, that kind of thing. And you see it, how different racers attack that moment and that kind of, you know, all of that's visually on, interesting to watch. On an audio visual level, this sequence is, I, I think, genuinely outstanding. Because you know exactly what you said. We the same the the same quality as the speeder race. Once the commentary and the jokes stop, and we're yeah. just watching the race, Ben Burt's ambient soundscape starts to emerge, and it's hypnotizing. And it's yeah, it makes the movie so much better. And and it even and it makes the movie so much better. And shortly after that, we get the most suspenseful moment of the film, which is Anakin fixing a power coupling. Right, exactly. And again, the lowest stakes. Right. <laughs> you know, you could possibly imagine, but because we've kind of been drawn into it through the through Ben Burtt's soundscape, mm -hmm. and because you know, quite frankly. All CGI propellers aside, George Lucas knows how to film vehicles and film machinery. Yeah, he, he does. Knows what he does know how to do that. To pick, right. And he knows how to edit towards momentum as mm -hmm. well. I mean, you know, he's 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 done that for other directors. That's the that uh, the newspaper sequence in The Godfather. He he edited for for Coppola to make mm -hmm. it more dynamic. And I think that is really. And then you get you know even it's the, a strength the, the, of his for sure. The choice of how they film the the pod race, yeah, is I was great. just thinking the about that. The pilot's eye view of the pilot's ravine. eye view. There are moments, kind of Hitchcockian moments, up above. Yeah, you know. And I remember seeing that in the trailer. I remember seeing that shot in the trailer, and yeah. that's what made me excited about this film. And it's one of the few moments that actually that, translates into that, the film yeah, itself. Exactly. It's like it's as exciting in the film as it was as in, the it was in the trailer. And there's maybe about two or three instances yeah. of that. <laughs> and this, but this, this is one of them. And of course, again, like the visual language calls back to the Millennium Falcon flipping over to fit through a small gap. Mm -hmm. You know, the the visual path of sh spaceships as we've seen in the original trilogy. But also, again, what I think Star Wars, when Star Wars at its best, it's doing this to some extent, is calling back to classic Hollywood mm -hmm. action filmmaking. Right. So there's a lot of Ben-Hur in here, like the, the yeah. two 
the you know the two races trying to fuck each other over and right. and smash up each other's um, pods in motion. It's more family. I mean, obviously, like real people died on Ben Hur, and also mm-hmm. people in the movie died. Yeah. Here, we're not allowed not even so to see people in the movie. We're not even allowed to see people in the movie die. Yeah, because we every time anyone crashes and clearly dies, we have to get the A team sort of the A exactly the brush the off. Mo- dusting the <laughs> we have to know that Sebulba um, yeah. survived. Not only because he's in the next movie, but <laughs> it, it it goes against the family friendly feel. Yeah, that Lucas is trying to foster. Uh, for for Anakin to be sort of murdering, <laughs> murdering everyone in his wake. Right. That's the next two movies. Yeah. No problem then. But right now he's he's nine. He missed so an opportunity got... though, didn't he? I mean, you know, sow that seed early. I say, your character's going to become <laughs> the most evil man in the galaxy. Go ahead and let him kill a few racers. And again, but again, Lucas specifically didn't want to do that with this mm-hmm. movie. He he his the point he wanted to make was that anyone, anyone can turn bad, even the the most innocent person, you can imagine. So right. He he needed to establish that first. Well, and we talked a great. And length. I'm not saying that's the right choice, but yeah, exactly. Again, it's cause... it's like it's like where you 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 Lucas says something and you go, I guess that's what you did do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whether, I'm not sure I like it, but I guess that you 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 followed through. On you what followed you, through what on that. <laughs> but there always feels like a disconnect to me because there's such a jump in age from the first actor to the second actor, despite your Should arguments about going. how Jedi's grow quicker. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm starting to realize now that a lot of what I know about these prequels. Is is like something that someone on the playground has told me that is definitely not true. It goes it goes all the way back to Return of the Jedi and and me thinking that bits of Jabba can be seen. Oh, in the explosion emerging yeah. from the explosion of the like of the Jaws three D style. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of Jabba, you know he's he's slept through it all. Yeah, of course. Blissfully unaware he would one day be visited by two droids not three feet away from him. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the winner of the race will later sell him the bounty of one of his smugglers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there's there's some ring theory for you. Have we talked about ring theory before? We, I don't uh, think we have. Because, and the this is one of the ways, I think, you know, out, out of desperation more than anything else, that people have tried to connect this to the original trilogy mm-hmm. saying that, that instead of seeing that you have to see them as a I guess a symbiote circle I suppose that so you know you <laughs> that's like a continuous <laughs> loop so you so the yeah. end of Jedi becomes the beginning of this and then it goes around again um and you know the so the, the this is this is a reflection of Return of the Jedi, Attack of the Clones is Empire Strikes Back, and then Revenge of the Sith is Star, is Star Wars, the original. Right. It sort of works. Uh, I don't know how intentional that was. Well, yeah, but... it's like you gotta... When you come up with these theories, you, you might have questions, and then you have to force some pieces in. <laughs> you have to really it's, it's wedge certainly... it in. Yeah. 
but but on the surface, you know, it, yeah. it sounds like such a good argument. It sounds it's of course that's it's what certainly they did. the case. It's certainly the case that Revenge of the Sith it was meant to flow directly into of course, the beginning yeah. of New Hope until they made a movie until they made flowed, Rogue One. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it flowed even more directly into yeah. into New Hope. <laughs> All right, well, uh, so, I mean, you know, it's funny because I don't really have much more to say about the pod race itself. I mean, I've said everything that I can about how exciting yeah. and thrilling it is. And like you said, that moment the, where he's got to, you know, just fix his power coupling. It's amazing. And it's it, great. It, it's, it is great cinema. I, the only thing, I I guess that's not fair. I was going to say the only thing, I, I just wish you, it would make even more sense to me if he was older. Uh, but you know, I I don't well, I, I do think this that, is where I this think is he... where it dawns on you that that <laughs> this is what Obi Wan meant when he said your father was already a great pilot when I first right, met. Yeah. That that you it's like oh this is what he meant. See, but I I, I always didn't like that. Yeah, I don't I, I don't I no, you know. I, Again, I'm not saying it's good, but this is when you realize going that back to our that's last episode. If he was 15 or 16, yeah. and you met him, and he was a great pilot then, then that makes more yeah. sense to me. But in and, this and moment, they... it's you know, it's like a kid's fantasy is what Anakin or Annie is in this movie, from a they, child's again, perspective, get... not an yeah. adult making the film perspective. You know. Again, I think that's what Lucas is is going through. I think that's I, all, oh, I, that I do I, too. Yeah, right. But yeah, I just think so it's, like I just think much... it's still the wrong choice. Yeah, but I, for some reason, I'm I'm attracted to to people who make the bad choice well. Hence, my love of Superman three. <laughs> like following, I follow through. That's what I'm right. attracted to in filmmaking, and and this is full of following through on on. Um, Surreally bad ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he takes a bad idea as far as it possibly can go. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for that. To middling effect. And and in some ways, I think you come out better. You know. Right. You you, you come out with potentially less detractors because they could always go, well, you know, that's uh, he didn't <laughs> he didn't compromise. <laughs> <laughs> I do think uh no offense sand people. No, you create offense by saying sand people. <laughs> but I I think that's one of the best jokes in the entire series, them shooting at these fucking pod racers. <laughs> oh, I yeah, I know. I I think and you know, again that feels like a we're harking back to the searchers like quality of the original Star Wars there. Yeah. That sense of a of you know a a wild west a yeah. open range. Not just that, but I also love just love the idea that Tuscan Raiders have this kind of sense of humor. Yeah. This is fun for them, you know? That's hysterical. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well then Again, Anna, Anakin's got too a... much thinking about because they end up killing Anakin's step half brother. Anyway, that's not, <laughs> we don't need to think about that yet. <laughs> not quite yet. This, isn't it like anything? It's like this was, a, you know, such a great moment. And then you think about what that means narratively. Yeah. 
down the line. Two trilogies, and you go, oh, actually, that's the worst thing. They <laughs> Why the done. fuck did you do that, George? <laughs> well, now uh, Anakin has to kind of break up with his mom, right? He doesn't have to. Uh, Qui Gon takes him away from it from his mother. I mean, that's this is true. like, you know, um. <laughs> they turn him into a child soldier essentially don't yeah. they and, and yeah. you know it's it's kind of it's i don't know if it is more critically done in the in the mandalorian it's done better it's still romanticized but this idea of you know mm-hmm. grooming grooming a child to be a soldier in right. essence i know they don't think of themselves as soldiers but they are well cuz i guess our experience of it is knowing kids say in africa being kidnapped and then being you know raised to be a a soldier in an army in which they kidnap and murder people and that's not a good fun thought (laughs) it's a a glossy it's a a glossy version of that i mean they they sort of they at least acknowledge that qui-gon has some guilt about it because they have a reaction shot Mm -hmm. of him sort of looking ambivalent or you know or liam neeson's thinking (laughs) Well, and I think about about when the day will will end. Yeah, will and, end. and what, what is... it, but that's the way it always came across to me. Like, should I be doing this? Because mm-hmm. uh, he's the rebel Jedi. He's the one who. Right. Yeah. He's the one that should know better. Be- we don't know that yet, though. But anyway, that's true. Yeah. Right. Um, hasn't come up yet. No, hasn't come up yet. But I also don't like that Lucas is trying to let the audience off the hook by having the mom say, "No, this is what's got to happen." I don't know that, that that all kind of reads to me. I know maybe again because I I'm a father and I don't know. You said that in ki- the last episode. Kid. Yeah, it just that this this scene plays very cold to me and it does not pull at my I heartstrings re- in the way really I want poetic. it to. I think it's a really poetic scene. I find it absolutely devastating. I think Jake okay. Lloyd plays it really well. I think it's the best use of him. In I think I'll agree movie. with that. I think he's really good and I think he's And then there's that, that line the about moment. that line about stop, you know, you can't stop the suns from setting, which, you know, in a, in a movie which doesn't have very artful dialogue, to put it mildly, I think. Right. I think I think it's poetic and it's also poetic in the sense it rhymes with with the, the image of the two suns and uh, from from Star Wars, and you know, I, I think it's less taking the 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 audience off the hook. I think it's a it's a mother trying to take her son off the hook. So I think it's trying to do both. About... Yeah, but I, I but I just love how straight the scenes played. Right, they use Williams's music. Mm-hmm. There's hardly any CGI or droids, <laughs> which is 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 noticeable in this film. It's just acting. It's just words. When when a Jedi um, has to tear tear a son away from his mother, there's there's no background CGI robot breakdancing. Good on you. And there could have been Phantom. There could have been. Yeah. And they could it wasn't that out of the realm of possibility, and they made that choice. Fine. I and and in general, I think tonally, Lucas really shines when doing coming of age type drama like mm. american graffiti the original star wars yeah. there's there's a shot choice i love and again i think you know it's 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 easy to miss in in a movie full of bizarre shot choices mm-hmm. there's also one in the scene which i want to talk about <laughs> but where after anakin leaves all his friends run out of frame 
and they choose mm. to like end the shot that way and and that you know as as the audience i'm i'm sat there going he's never going to see them again right they're gone they're gone from his life his life is you know his life as he knows is over and that's all done with a with a you know just where they choose to edit yeah i just i think i it's i find it absolutely devastating what I, what i do, what i find devastating in a different way <laughs> is is a c3po pov shot <laughs> exactly <laughs> thank you <laughs> that shot is baffling to me i mean it's the only time he really chooses to do it ever and POV shots are so rarely done in the series. Yeah. Why would you burn it on C-3PO of all people? <laughs> I mean, the only logic I can apply to it is that Lucas is sort of thinking, well, you know, let's let we see these movies through the droid's eyes. Let's do it literally. Yeah, but, but this is the know. this is the one movie where you don't see it through the droid's exactly. eyes. Exactly. The you know, <laughs> it's supposed to be through the droid's eyes in the first series or certainly yeah. that first movie i think he's on record as saying that this movie is supposed to be through padme's eyes and that's uh, you know we don't even know padme is i know for most it's of it. so crazy how can we know what what her perspective <laughs> is we don't even know who she <laughs> is and I, I think i heard that on the commentary and i said what are you talking about yeah. other times i think he just says things to to troll Star Wars fans. You think so? I don't know. Sometimes I put I think he puts things in Star Wars movies to troll Star Wars fans. Alright. Well then we have a fight. Well we have half a fight. Right. That starts in the middle. That starts in the middle and is purpose in media res, if you will. Yeah, purposefully <laughs> obscured so that we don't see too much. Because he wants to save that. And that was a choice because they filmed the first half of mm-hmm. it they just cut the establishing shots so yeah. it begin it, it it it's supposed to feel like it's all happening suddenly without any prior knowledge it's also our first saber on saber contact in the entire movie right uh so it's kind of a i guess it's like a trailer for the end of the for the duel of the fates I yeah exactly right as what what they wanted to end up doing but it's an odd scene an odd choice I say just go ahead and do it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it doesn't have to be. It's not going to be a huge, long, drawn-out battle like the Duel of the Fates. It's not going to be that. But you could go ahead and show us the fight as it as it actually was. You know, what's wrong with that? Maybe it's another you know, trying to to do POV again. This time, like you know, how Qui Gon is experiencing what's happening. Mm Hmm. Whereas the better choice is just to film it as it is and then, you know, tell Liam Neeson to, who's perfectly capable of this kind of thing, to, to act it. Right, right. So it's an odd it's an odd moment. And again, you know, you don't get to see as much of Darth Maul as you would like. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of robot legs, <laughs> this is where we get the walking throne. Yeah. We cut to Naboo. We've got a cool Tim Burton-esque set design here. No, and okay. I would have been satisfied with the If these were the only artificial legs in the trilogy, I would have been satisfied. <laughs> you would have been happy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and we, so we cut back to Naboo for the, for the walking throne. Mm-hmm. And we're back to the journey back from Tatooine to 
Coruscant. Coruscant. Yeah. Jar Jar sleeping in exactly the way you'd expect a 1930s cartoon animal to. <laughs> and I like the scene. I, I, up to a point, and I know what you're going to say, I like the scene between Anakin and Padme. And if they just kept it that she was a surrogate mother for him. Instead of. Then it would have been, I guess, yeah. Yeah, but we we know going in that they're going to be the do parents. We? Of course we do. Oh, yeah. But then that means everything is based on Oedipal desire. Yes. That's why so you don't replace... cast somebody this fucking young. Yeah. I think I think they tried to course correct in the next movie by making Anakin the the sort of sexual predator, but right now I, I, it's it's all in Padme. The balls, yeah, exactly. the, ball, they, the they... balls are quite literally in Padme's court. <laughs> they switch off. They that's switch only, off that's, predator. That's not only sexual innuendo; it's also regal innuendo. <laughs> well, and uh, they're gonna tell the Jedi Council about Darth Maul and Anakin at the same time. Yeah, we get we get daytime Coruscant, so now yeah. we know it's not a now we know it's not a night city. Right, uh, and we know and we know this because Rick Ollier gives us an audio tour of the city. Right. <laughs> the. Funny Which I'm, part I'm is, really surprised. I'm really surprised in all the tertiary Star Wars media there isn't Rick Ollier takes you around, <laughs> takes you <laughs> across Coruscant. There's uh there's, it, a, there's a lot of talk when they're in the uh, Jedi Council room and they're giving their report. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. I keep going back to it, but listening to both Lucas and the effects people talking about yeah. the white glow they were able to get around people, you know, because they're in a a brightly lit room and that's what it's like so we worked really hard on that i just think like where that didn't didn't where, where put any effort into designing the room itself focus. yeah exactly and coruscant what do you i mean how do you feel about coruscant i feel like you know the fact the fact that it's that it's still in star wars media means that it worked yeah because sure. andor's gone back there right has gone back there I mean, it's clearly based on Fritz Lang's Metropolis, yeah, like everything right. else in modern science fiction. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think it works quite well. It looks good. I think it's a good-looking cityscape. It is. It's it's one of the pluses for the effects of the movie. And I think it's also factored in that kind of post Blade Runner Fifth Element. Yeah, quality right. as yeah. well. Maybe more in the next movie, but there's still hints of it. It's like a third generation reimagining of Metropolis. Right. Well, because in the next movie, we get more of the nighttime and that feels more Blade Runner. It's yeah. Well, feels and sounds more Blade Runner as well. Here's something I don't understand about this movie at all. Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Well, the lack of use of Terrence Stamp for sure. But we also, (laughs) you know, we we also get this thing about there seems to be no proof of an invasion on Naboo. The, the proof the proof has been given. We've got an awful lot of fucking technology going on in these movies. Yeah. Nobody can fucking snap a photo or something and send it to Coruscant and say, well, look they don't at all need these it. fucking things going on. I don't get it. They don't it. need it because, you know, the breakdown in communications can only mean one thing. 
invasion. A a CO Bibble told us. (laughs) Along the same lines of, of, you know, the Coruscant has lasted, um, this view of Senate politics Mm -hmm. was kind of informed by the political deadlocks of the time of the Clinton administration where, you know, Republicans and Democrats became entrenched. It's still like that now, if not right. more so. So it resonates now, and you know this is the kind. This is the Senate that we see in Andor as well. Like they've really run with this, yeah. This this notion of deadlock politics, yeah. E- even into the representation of the Imperial era. But it made me start to laugh just to think about, you know, right now we're in a place in our politics in which. Nobody actually takes a look at what's going on in the entrenched politics from the day to day. It's just my side and that other side. And I, I wonder, I wonder if this movie had a hand in that. Sure. Well, it's, it's, this, this started all of it. True. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But as you said, we get, then we get into, before we go to the actual, the actual Senate itself, um, we go into the Jedi council Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, this movie's throwing stars at us because we've had Terrence Stamp, yeah, right. Chancellor, and now it's Sam. Now Jackson. it's Sam Jackson. A very inauspicious introduction for such a big star of '90s cinema. Can I ask you something? What do you think of Samuel L. Jackson and as Mace Windu in these movies? Is he good? <laughs> it's a it's a good question <laughs> because I feel like he's doing. I feel like he's doing well what they asked him to do, but what they asked him to do is a waste of his talents and yeah. also a little bit also a little bit racist. Because in this in the in the Jedi Council scenes, he's basically like, he's the DMV employee. He's like a DMV employee. He's mm-hmm. like the code forbids it. Sorry. Yeah. Nothing we can do. Which <laughs> let I me think take is your, little, really the only me, black guy in the room. Let me take your paper that. and stamp it there. Yeah. Really the only black guy in the room is saying that. Yeah. But also, I feel like all they want him for in this scene is, again, aesthetics. The poses Mm -hmm. that he can do. Right. You know, the finger on the chin look. Right, right. And I would argue that in the next movie, he gets to let loose a bit more. He does get to let, yeah. What he can do. But there are moments in this movie where, and I, I see it happen with almost every actor, less so with uh, Liam Neeson, but which is funny because he's like so clearly having a miserable time, but but oh, he's... he was he's so miserable. <laughs> but but he's he's bringing the goods, I think. And there's a thing, you know, there's a thing with Star Wars language. I don't know why people have been, you know, when when the first trilogy came out, Mark Hamill, I think, was derided as not being a a very good actor. And I think he's always been good in these movies. And if you watch. Yeah. If you watch extras on those uh, the original trilogy of watching, say, like a Kurt Russell try to be Luke Skywalker, yeah, you imi- you immediately think he doesn't get it. He doesn't get the world. Mm. He, like he doesn't understand it. And Mark Hamill did. He uh, like you could just tell that he understands well, the language. Look what, he, look what he did in the Last Jedi. Like he, he yeah. it wasn't it wasn't his idea of the character, but he right. played it to the hilts. I th- he played it better than anyone could than have done. Than anybody it. possibly could. That's how I felt too. And he didn't even agree with what he was doing. 
And uh, but there are moments, you know, there's just there's moments where I think Samuel L. Jackson doesn't get it. Like he doesn't understand. It. And then there are moments where I think, oh, that was really great. That's why you get Sam Jackson. <laughs> yeah. So it's an uneven performance but, to me that the, starts to take off again, in the next like, film. Wh- and why? I mean, and this goes for all the Jedi. It's just like. We don't see them standing up. Seems such an obvious thing. But yeah. the first time we see them there, they're sitting down and they stay sat down for the entire Forever. duration of the film. And this one scene kind of demystifies the Jedi's as an institution from this mythical version we have of them as like Arthurian knights to a mm-hmm. series of strange headed people sitting in lounges. Right. It's so strange, such a strange, <laughs> anemic choice. <laughs> so, yeah. Also, and I, you know, I, I go back and forth about how, and then this theory has been posited as in defense of the prequel trilogy that the, 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 the sort of story arc of this trilogy is how the Jedi's fucked everything up because of their own hubris. Mm-hmm. I think they occasionally lean into this, but I don't think there's much of it in this film. I think at this point, Lucas still wants you to believe that everything the Jedi say and do is correct. I think it yeah, changes I, I as think the so trilogy too. goes yeah. on. Because Yoda's speaking a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Everything he says about Anakin yeah. will come to fruition. And it's one of my favorite Sam, Sam Jackson moments, too, when he says, when uh, I think Qui-Gon just asks, you know, is the boy to be trained? And he just says, no, he's not. I fucking love that. Oh, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's his DMV moment, isn't it? <laughs> it's like so you, good you, in that moment. This is an out-of-state license. He just Sorry. cuts Qui-Gon's legs from, out, uh, from underneath him. No, go fuck yourself. Not yeah. going to happen. I love it. All right, why don't we take a break? Okay, sure. And then we'll come back. We've been talking for several hours. Yeah. That's probably a good idea. I need a drink of water, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's all that Tatooine talk. It yeah. gets your lips dry. It gets you dry. It's hot. You're gonna get, you want to go and uh, suck from a moisture evaporator. <laughs> or an evaporator, depending on who you believe. <laughs> all right, we'll be right back, everybody. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. 
They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the Phantom Menace. Now it's time to talk Senate politics. Just just before that, do you think we will talk as much about the Star Wars sequels? Oh. I have a feeling this is the peak of, well, uh... <laughs> of our indulgence. <laughs> my, my, you're probably right. But my initial I feel like thought... there's much less to say about like a Rise of Skywalker. I don't yeah, know. I think you're. I right. might be wrong. I don't know. I would just. And you, you know, you know what I'm going to say every time. I, JJ, I, I... Jay Abrams cocked it up. What do you want me to say? <laughs> so, I won't do that. Yes, you will. I know, but I'll elaborate. But my. Was, what I was just going to say was, I do not put it past you to talk J.J. Abrams out of the fucking room yeah. for hours upon hours. I, uh, he talked it could himself. be longer, he doesn't, sir. He doesn't need my help. He talked himself out of the room. <laughs> uh, my note is, uh, a vote of no confidence happens. That was mm-hmm. easy. <laughs> you know, it's funny because... This is because the first time we see the in, Senate floor. Yeah. Which is visually very accomplished, kind of visionary. Yeah. I don't know whether to call it set design or special effects. I guess a combination of both. But everything that's happening. Probably ha- more effects, but. Yeah, but that's all there is. Like, you, the, the the what's happening is not matching the visual no, scale, yeah, that's of, scale and grandeur. I mean, it's just mired in protocol. Right. Superman Well, we talked about piece. that in the, le- in the last episode, you know. I mean, Lucas, for better or worse, he is going to devote three movies to this storyline. Yeah. Isn't it also... This this is as big, if not a bigger through line than Anakin becoming becoming Darth Vader. I I have a bombshell, but I'm going to save it for the end because we won't be able to think about anything else. Oh, and I'm the one with the fucking promises and wrapped gift bombs how dare you no i'm not i'm not mystery boxing you i'm not jj abrams <laughs> oh, okay i'm purposefully not not saying this because it's such a bombshell we won't recover from it, it has to be said at the end of the episode but what i, I will definitely say... don't want to get to the end of this episode and then have a mystery box open that makes us talk for another hour just that's so what you know. i mean i'm not jj abrams all right fine. but also the size of the galactic senate underlines right. just how insignificant the events surrounding one planet are. <laughs> yeah, which you yeah, kind of feel exactly. already, but when you see what, right. the, what like what the galaxy is, you're like, what does what's going on in the boob make any difference to Who anything? Who gives a shit? Exactly. Um I'm sure you were delighted to see a couple as Spielberg fan as you are see a couple of ET ETs? De- ET yeah. delegates delegates. I, I, I always like that oh, wow. Spielberg... Did not see that and coming. I like that Spielberg and Lucas have enough whimsy within each other to, like, 
just give each other a nod some way, okay. somehow, every once in a while in their movies, too. I, I you know. J.J. Abrams does that I, with I'm... himself. <laughs> hey, we're not okay, at okay, J.J. Okay, Abrams okay. yet, okay? Yeah. Keep it. Keep it to George. I opened a different the... kind of books. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you like that because it does strike me that what Lucas is doing here is special editioning the meaning of the Yoda scene in E.T. Right. Because now when E.T. says home, home, it's because they belong <laughs> to the same galactic senate. Right. <laughs> I, I, this is a, this He's is... just having a little fun and I'm okay with that. This is where we see, you know, Palpatine's uh, daytime look. I like I like this dimension of having the Emperor, and that's all we know that he is at this point, uh, begin as a whispering political schemer. I feel like that's histori- yeah. historically real. That's a kind of that's how Stalin began, for instance. You know, was uh, mm-hmm. kind of everyone's and you have that sense act. that you have yeah you have that sense that Lucas is. Probably a Press history buff. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, you know, the the there's something it's interesting with this movie because I or not this set of movies, because this is takes up such a chunk of screen time. Yeah. How much Palpatine is throwing this comment this way and yeah. whispering this over here and doing this. And it's you know, Ian McDermott is so good that He's always great as he's doing it, mm. but I think it's to great and middling effect for the movies themselves. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. You with know, that. there's. I, I'll wait till we get to Sith, but you know, there, there. I, I wish it was. There are moments where I wish that the characters were not so clueless, because it seems so overt that I think clearly this fucker's up to no good. Why don't you know that? Now, I don't know if that's my background, no coming in knowing he's the emperor, but it hmm. there there seems like there are selfish moments but they're, that are they're, that's the interesting, clearly designed yeah. for him. This is why I, I think like the, the, the representation of politics in here is nuanced to a fault, because mm-hmm. that can all be explained away by the vanity of politicians. Right. And so up to a point, he's doing nothing that... You know, any politician would do. Any crooked to, politician to, wouldn't to, do. He's yeah. not even particularly crooked. He's kind of one of the good guys. Yeah, right. But, you know, he, no one, if no one, if someone is not asked to leave power, they will not leave power. Mm-hmm. And they're specifically asking him not to leave power. So yeah. it's easy to spin it, you know, and, and Yoda gives him a look in the next movie. So that's <laughs> enough, I think. <laughs> I remember that look. I it's such a good. It's such a. It's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you a piece of shit? <laughs> so, and we talked a little bit about this, but the the Jedi Council say they won't train Anakin. Yeah. Um, he, he will. He he won't pass the tests. He's. Too I like old. the lighting in this scene. This kind of where the scene is at sunset. Sunset because yeah. you know the whole dark light, having it in between dark and light. Make, yeah, it makes right. thematic sense for for the movie. Uh, I've never understood what the test was but all this, about that they give him. The Jedi trials. Well, it's not. That's the Jedi trials. I think so. 
What looking at a speed looking at a speeder? <laughs> it's just a piece like looking at a picture of a speeder and then they react as if we're supposed to know whether that was the right or wrong answer. It's not even clear yeah, on I screen mean, what's going on. Well, it's like Ghostbusters. A couple of wavy lines. <laughs> I also I thought of it was maybe like uh and you know, George Lucas likes his Buddhism as well. It was like the you know uh -huh. the, the test they do for the for the Dalai Lama. Is it the Dalai mm. No, not the Dalai like the reincarnation Yeah, the Dalai Lama. Where they set they set out like five objects or something like that and, and you whichever what you know there's a right one to pick, but only the true reincarnation would know would know and i was wondering what yeah but again it just looks like <laughs> it's like i was like well technically he's right it is a speeder mm -hmm. was was that why was that wrong or was it wrong i don't know any Here's I something, have, nothing i i think it came up shortly after this because i've got a note here that says you know i think yoda is talking about how fear is the root cause of being bad yeah and i thought yeah, maybe because I'm a human being and Jedi's look like human beings. Like, who the fuck doesn't get scared? What are you talking about? Which again, when like, I'm defending my own life, I I shouldn't be even a little bit scared. Yeah, and also, by the way, later on this movie proves that that Jedi always attack first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the first time a Jedi, you know, is uh, only acting in self defense is way into the next movie. Mm -hmm. The Jedi strike first in this movie again and again and right. again. But um, besides that, I, I it remind what you said just reminded me of the of what Norm Macdonald said about Bill Cosby. They <laughs> said your people say that the pe pe people say that the worst the worst part of it was the worst part of what Bill Cosby did was the lying. I think it was the raping. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you're making a similar point there. It's sort of right. like. It's that's not the full. It's not the full story. But again, it lends credence to those people who say the Jedi were wrong. The Jedi are responsible for turning Anakin into Darth Vader mm -hmm. because they are trying to repress the very things that make him. I mean, let's call it human, for the sake of argument. Yeah, right. They're trying to repress those things in him, and and that is ultimately what turns him to the dark side. Right. Because his in trying to repress his fear, he becomes just fear. Fear, right. And if they'd have uh, indulged that fear to some extent, given as well, like, you know, he's just been separated from his mother. I know we, the movie doesn't, yeah, want, right. doesn't want to talk he's about that. He's got some shit going on. Yeah. Uh, and Yoda straight in like, oh, miss your mother, do you? <laughs> what are you fucking taunting me for, yeah. asshole? <laughs> When we get back to the Senate, um, they, one of the people who's up for ch the chancellor after... So Terrence Stamp has a whole storyline in this movie, which is... Sort of, kind of, yeah. doesn't feel important. And then at the end of the movie, you realize that may have been the most important thing that's happened right. in all of Star Wars. <laughs> but there's a few different people... But in it also seems... I don't... You know, they're... The things seem i don't know it's murky at best what's going on in the senate because yeah. they talk about how you need this one vote of no confidence but apparently uh, like just queen amidala saying i 
I must uh, give a vote of no confidence means like Terrence Stamp immediately just sits down mm. like he just lost it. I, there's not even a vote or anything. It's All you need is one person to say it. And apparently you're out. It's really funny because I like when I think about it, I think Terrence Stamp is good casting here because Gen- oh, yeah. the way he played General Zod showed that he's a good stooge. Like the great thing mm-hmm. about the way he played General Zod is that you know he wasn't he he didn't never came across as the brightest spark. He felt like other people were using right. him for their own ends, and that's what's happening here. But they've, they've added nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they've they've added nothing to that. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, the other day I was at a, a I sometimes take my son to a comic book store. As he said, trying to trying to claim that it's that somehow my son's idea. I was kind of uh, like it was his idea. Um, and we, you know, he likes to look at the Star Wars. <laughs> so, so, so. He really genuinely does like to look at the Star Wars action figures. And there was uh, one, and it was just like Chancellor Valorum. <laughs> and he said, "Who's that?" And I just went, "You know, it's not even worth me explaining." It's so not important. <laughs> There's also, you know, because we're kind of going back and forth where, you know, we we see Palpatine as Palpatine and then we'll see him as a, as a hologram as the Emperor. <laughs> Again. Again. And there, there are things that I can't figure out in this movie because mm-hmm. he keeps saying, I need this queen yeah. to sign the treaty. And yet her not signing the treaty seems to help him get into power because now she's on. Now she's at Coruscant and she's she's the one giving the vote of no confidence. The plan makes less sense than the one they went into Jabba's palace with. Yeah, totally. It just, you know, nothing ever. it, it, It seems a little strange at best. Yeah. And it's it always feels like that the plan is set and yet the plan is evolving all the time and this and this never gets resolved because you know the next two movies you you can't tell there's some kind of a long con going on but you've no idea who's in on the con and who's outside of the con. yeah and it gets right. actually gets harder to fathom <laughs> but do you know this is this is le- what's happening now the the contest for the new chancellorship this is in terms of the rest of the trilogy, the rest of this trilogy and the original trilogy, this is really all that matters in the entire movie. Yeah, right. The fact that it, you know, it ends up being Palpatine and not Bail Antilles from Alderaan, who's <laughs> who is officially the most Star Wars sounding name ever. <laughs> That's another thing I want to talk about: the names. What do you think of the names when this movie first came out? What, what do you mean? What, what names? Qui Gon, Seal Bibble, yeah, uh, Newt Gunray. Exactly, I'm Newt kind of, Gunray. But perfect. It's example. like the it's like the Rolling Stones. It sounds weird the first time you say it, and you watch it enough, and then it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, I think you might be right. I just remember thinking at the time, Rick Ollier. Yeah, I, I remember thinking at the time, I, I, I just remember, none of these names sound as good as Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. Yeah. 
you know, they seem too Star Warsy to me. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's it's sort of it's 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 Star Wars turned on itself in a sense. It's yeah. like eating its own flesh. So uh, kind of name. Is this about the part? This is one of my favorite parts in the whole movie. Because I have a note. My next note is that Anakin walks up to Qui Gon and he says, he says, I've been wondering, and I thought they should have added a line of dialogue that says, like I'm sure the audience is, mm. what the fuck is a midichlorian? And oh, they go the mid- midichlorian science lecture, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I just... Again. It's, <laughs> which, which I makes just it, love it. And, you know, I feel like if you were going to do this, you would describe it in a way that distances it from traditional right. eugenics theory. But at the end of it, you go, oh, it's just eugenics. Okay. It's even, it's even more Nazi than I thought it was. Right. <laughs> oh, man, every time I see it, it really gets me. I've been wondering. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Qui-Gon is Troy McCoy. I have a feeling the audience might be confused by something, so I've been wondering. Can you explain this to me, please? It's like uh, uh, Qui-Gon is Troy McClure in... Uh in one of those public information films that they mm-hmm. watch at the school in The Simpsons. Right. <laughs> Hi, I, I'm Qui-Gon. You might Can remember I go me to from such Bovine films University? As... Um, yeah. <laughs> the de- so, an Anakin is, is, is seen talking to Rick Ollier and figuring out how to pilot a ship, mm-hmm. which is the movie desperately trying to catch Anakin up to what Obi-Wan said of him. 30 yeah. years of the future. Right. It's like, in what ways could he have been a great pilot without actually being a pilot? <laughs> and having almost everything he does in the last act of this movie be by accident. Which, ironically, is uh, is exactly um, the reasoning they come up with for, uh, Dial of De- for the kid being able to pilot a plane in Dial of Destiny. Mm, right. Same exact reasoning. Yeah. He talked to a pilot. He talked to a pilot who was drunkenly helping him, drunkenly explaining things on a table. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, he was, uh, he'd just come from an episode of Pan Am. Yeah. <laughs> this is where, so the, 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 the scene between Jar Jar and, the, and Queen Amidala. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as I'm saying that, I'm questioning whether this was Amidala. I guess it was, right? It's not Padme. Is this? I think it, yeah. I, this think, it's, is, I okay. think it's the queen. It's now. the queen now, yeah. Because I, I, that's what I have wrote written down. Yeah, and it's sort of like it's it's a well it's a well written scene ruined by silly voices. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> She's talking in this very strange way, and Jar Jar yeah. is just Jar Jar, so he's <laughs> <laughs> so he's automatically silly and annoying. And this was the, the the famous the 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 again infamous line, "We's are people gonna die," which uh, South Park were able to. The South Park parody was able to get within, into their movie within the same year. Yeah, and what I think is probably one of the. I mean, I think that movie impressive... came out a, a, a month or two later. Yeah, it's one of the most. Imp- I mean, it's up there with the ET. So they saw it in a preview. Oh, wow. I think. Wow. And then that's how they got it into their movie. It's like Airplane 2 with the E.T. If memory serves. The E.T. hand. Yeah, right. It's like that that tight. And then, then you realize, like, what, 
why does judge why does judge matter he matters because he's gungan and he has an in mm-hmm. with the gungan warriors and that's it yeah, that's it yeah and they're gonna they're gonna meet with each other and at least judge make... matters a little bit okay fine well he didn't before he whipped by the time he's done in this trilogy yeah yeah boy will yeah. he ma- boyo will he matter, matter. <laughs> um and then and yeah then, but she's gonna I mean, she's gonna, gonna go meet with to the gun gun and they're gonna make a plan yeah they they go back to naboo and... <laughs> well they first of all they get there and the gungans are all gone They've gone to their sacred place, which one doesn't seem very secret and two seems to be built on the grounds of a deserted Dagobah theme park. (laughs) But here's where we get the what the again, what they think is the big reveal that. Queen Amandala Mm -hmm. and Padme are uh, switches, switches. And it seems as though she's been getting over on Qui-Gon the whole time. But Jar Jar, who's astonished that this has happened, and Qui-Gon, of course, gives Obi-Wan a little look like, we knew that the whole time, didn't we? Is that what that look's supposed to mean? I think so. I thought it was a... She 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 had us going. Uh, I seem to recall in the in the commentary... Okay. Lucas giving up. <laughs> the commentary... Yeah, the whole the, time. Is this the same commentary where Lucas said it's all from Padme's perspective? I don't know if he's a reliable narrator. You're right. You're absolutely right. (laughs) And then we, you know, and we cut back to to, uh, the Emperor and Darth Maul. And this is where he literally says, Mm -hmm. let them make the first move. And I'm like, wait, the Sith act more like the Jedi. The Jedi act more like the Sith. Yeah, exactly. But you're going to get, you know, this is the beginning of kind of classic... Well, not classic. I was going to say classics. <laughs> I was going to say classic Star Wars. Really walk that back. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I mean, the first Star Wars movie is a very linear story. You can use classic. You can use. And then you're going to get into in multiple storylines yeah, in use classic. Empire. But I was thinking more specifically of Jedi. The end of yeah. Jedi. You're going to get several storylines, three well, storylines was... going on at once. And that that's was what's specific. happening here. Yeah, I mean that would you yeah. know there's footage of George Lucas looking at the storyboards and saying exactly that the 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 Jedi, mm-hmm. Jedi had three intercut sequences. Phantom Menace is going to have four because it's one more. And he literally says is that there? out loud. Yeah. This what's is the fourth one. Well, it's like three and a half if you think about it, because there's Jedi's. There's what's going on in Naboo, which you could split into two. Yeah, well, I have the battle droids with the Gungans. I've got the battle droids with the Gungans. I've got the palace battle, and I've got the space battle. What's the fourth one? Anakin. He's in the space battle. No, he's not in the space battle. He is. He is the space battle. (laughs) But he's separate from the rest of the pilots. He's got his own storyline going on. Whatever. He's part of space battle. Okay. But I still think it's an attempt to up the ante on what they did in Jedi. All right. I don't. <laughs> attempt is the key word there. <laughs> Jar Jar gets promoted to general. Mm-hmm. Which is already a meaningless promotion in Star Wars after fucking Lando Calrissian got that title. Um, right. <laughs> but this goes too far. 
there's again speaking of like you know uh imagery that rhymes with return of the jedi many gungans died to bring us this information yeah Except no one's sad about it, right? It's just like no, yeah. So the gun, the both, both everyone else and the Guggins are fine just being cabin fodder, aren't they? Really? I mean, you know, when you think about it, when she has her conversation with them, with the Guggins, I mean, it's like she's kind of getting over on them. She's yeah, she's oh yeah, humoring the boss. You know, basically, it's I just need you to do this, and a lot of you are gonna die, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, and uh, we cut away again to. Palpatine or Darth Sidious or the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Or the Emperor, right. One of his 43 names. Or, or you know, if you take the sequels into account, maybe Darth Plagueis as well. Um, and Snoke. <laughs> the first moment of genuine menace in a movie that, that has the word menace in the title is where he says, wipe them out, all of them. Yeah, all of them. And it's, be- it's a well-written line delivered mm-hmm. with genuine relish and menace and Man, yeah, exactly. And then That's we, why it's and in then the preview. The, and then the Gungan army come out of the fog, and it's Buster Keaton for the next twenty minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, because also, not only that, you have the Gungans versus the least threatening robots in the history of mankind. Right, we've already shown that the Jedi's can, and just we've already slice through them like butter. Yeah, exactly. So we, and we've already talked about in the last episode about how unthreatening and silly they are. This is this is one of the moments in the trailer which gave me an entirely false impression of this movie, mm. with the Gung and Army coming out of the fog. Mm-hmm. And the, when you see it in the trailer, you're like, "Oh, that's going to be one of the best moments in the movie." Yeah. And then it, it's pure computer game after that. Right. But you know, like 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 many things in this movie, they put some mist in, hoping it will <laughs> help cover. <laughs> and we're back to transparent bubble shields. Mm-hmm. Again, they which you they can't must... shoot through, but you can walk through. Right. Again, <laughs> we just like you know we we can do this effect. We're gonna do it again. So we're gonna do it. <laughs> and then the battle droids when they get so not only have they been established that they're not effective, but when they get blown up, they they sing extracts from Peter Frampton songs. They have these kind of like vocoder <laughs> dirges as they die, which makes them seem even less threatening than than they are. Which is none, none more threatening. None more threatening. Um, I think we made the point in the past episode that they, they they're basically doing everything on Naboo that they did about an hour earlier. Yeah, it's a it's the same shtick. Yeah, and they're keeping mm-hmm. and basically they're making. I don't know if anyone partic- says this particular phrase, but they're going about it as if they have a secret plan that only they know. <laughs> right, and yeah, that exactly. secret plan is there's a couple of guns in one of the chests. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's it. That's all we need. We've got it. It's like uh, we'll get into the throw. She, I think. Oh, here's what she says. She says we'll get into the throw room and I'll take care of it from there. Yeah. And I was expecting <laughs> that she would turn the throne room into like a, you know, some kind of giant right. weapon or something. But it's just, either weapon or yeah. fortress. Yeah. 
And again, it's counting on them not having found those guns already, which you think they would have done, is yes. seizing the palace. Oh, man, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in the air, there's in the air there's a kind of a dog fight. They look like they're from World War One, but they're fighting as if it's World War Two. Yeah. So, but I mean, I think I mentioned this in the last episode. You know, this is th- this portion of the movie is the portion, and it's the end of your movie, so you want it to be better. But there's one thing I think that saves it all, and that's the saber fight. But other than that, it's a lot of like you said earlier, everything between droids and gun gun feel like a video game mm-hmm. and i think out in space it feels very much like that too it, it you know the 3d ships that they have going on in this particular battle it's not as good as it will be in the next two movies it gets better it's very ki- it's also on a style level very kitschy compared to yeah the sort of yeah. rugged industrial look of the trench run both trench runs mm-hmm. right um and, you know, again, like sometimes the sophistication of politics in this movie harms it, especially in an action sequence, because the droid assembly line goes on for so long. You know, you realize it's kind of satire, right? Because it's like the military industrial complex. Yeah, right. The sort of mass production of robot soldiers. Well, I and, think and it, they're you also, know, you know, they're, they're setting up in It's to look like... They're setting up the I think it's wars. made to. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because when narratively, clones. narratively, when we, when I guess the emperor sees how useless these robots are, he needs to devise a better group of of soldiers. But is and it? So he's gonna. Do you think that was order... the end, the end game? Do you think he knows what the Clone Wars are at this point? Hard to say. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think he decided while it? While he was, I think he decided while he was doing the sequence that that's what the Clone Wars were going to be—robot versus clones. Mm-hmm. I think I think the thought passed through his mind while he was watching the the footage. He said, "Oh, I guess a robot is a kind of a clone." <laughs> but he, I think he's also clearly trying to evoke, you know, the images of Nazi Germany. With- yes. Well, the music rows certainly and rows is. And rows with of soldiers. John yeah. Williams is using his Nazi music from Last Crusade, so mm-hmm. that helps. <laughs> that goes to your yeah. argument. The one score, it? the one score of John Williams. <laughs> one Williams, as I call him. Oh boy! And you know, it's it's not even. I was to say, it's not even funny. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> the Gungans versus the Ewoks in terms of warriorship. There's no contest. Jar Jar begins unsuccessfully swinging his weapon around. At least Wicket builds up to that. Yeah. I have a note here that says, can't you allow Jar Jar to do at least one thing right? Well, we talked about this when we did Young Indiana Jones and and Remy, Indiana Jones psychic Remy, is like a kind of Jar Jar character. But when he gets on the battlefield, Mm -hmm. he acts like a real soldier. Why didn't they do that? Like a real hero, yeah. And and again, that would have made the next, what happens with Jar Jar in the next movie even better. The sense that Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of badassness in there somewhere. Yeah. That he's the the guy who might on a given day decide to plunge the galaxy into fascism, you know? Just maybe. (laughs) 
I'd be okay because he goes. He he's with Jar Jar. He's always Lucas is always going for the cheap joke, <laughs> and so I'm okay if he tries his weapon the first time and he's not great at it. Wow, you're setting the bar but so the, low. I am, but if there's at least a moment where when the shit goes down, Jar Jar focuses his goddamn energy and does something right. Yeah. You know, I could forgive a lot of Jar Jar, but because he rides that shit pony with floppy ears all the way <laughs> to the fucking ground, you know, it's just hard to root for him. And, and you know, they go so far down the road of slapstick that they end up doing a tribute to Buster Keaton. Mm-hmm. Like the the, ball, the the bubble shields falling off the, I don't know, those are not the bubble shields, are they? The, the, are chasing... the blue balls, you mean? Yeah. What are the blue balls? Are they the same? I don't know. They're just the blue They're balls. They're like bombs, aren't they? Blue ball bombs. They're bombs. Yeah. The blue ball bombs. Are... They're big and small blue ball bombs. And they're chasing him down the hill, and it was a, a specific, and uh, this was talked about, uh, I think, probably on the same commentary you'll, you've listened to, that mm-hmm. this was called back to Seven Chances, the Buster Keaton um, yeah. stunt. And I say stunt because it was done entirely practically. Recreating it digitally does nothing for anyone. Does does not help it. <laughs> and the same can be and also same can you be know, said because... of Anakin and what like that he's doing everything yeah. accidentally. Like even more... I don't like that. No, I don't like that at all, and I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense because even within you know that even within the movie, they're desperately trying to make you associate Anakin with the image. The Obi Wan created of him in Star Wars, so right. this scene is essential to that. He needs to be a good pilot, and he's never shown to be a good pilot. He's, he's a ne- he's a lucky well, pilot at best. He's a, but you'd think it would translate because he's a good pod racer. Well, this is pod racing. I you know I guess that's for what me, he says. That's not what that's not what I say. You know what what really bothers me about it is you have a chance to do something narratively. That would be so interesting and yeah. so important for the character because he's told to stay. And if he makes a choice to leave, not by accident, but yeah. says, I want to help, and then ends up saving the day, maybe through a little bit of anger or, you know, something like that, something that yeah. forces him to press an issue and he does something that nobody, no pilot yeah. would have they done. They won't go there, though, will they? They won't go there. Yeah. And so if he if he makes choices mm. and then, you know, Qui-Gon's dead, so he probably, he, he's not going to know, but Obi-Wan would know he made these choices and not know what to think about it. But now his friend has told him, asked him, train him, please. Yeah. And he's forced to make, you know, you could have made this movie so much more interesting. Well, it could have been the first with... time he got away with doing something violent. Yeah, exactly. Where they're going, and... good job, Anakin, when you blew up all those people. And in his head, he could go, killing people is uh, makes me more popular. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you, could, you still have the political aspect of it because the Jedi could be saying, I don't like what this fucking kid did. But meanwhile, he, you know, he doesn't get a blue orb at the end of this movie. If Queen that a medal? Is giving... I hadn't even clocked that that was a medal. 
Yeah, that's their version of the metal. That's why that's all, this movie ends isn't that a bomb? feeling like Star Wars. Isn't that a bomb? No, it's a different thing. It's a, it's different, a different blue thing. ball. Okay. Right. It's a different blue ball. <laughs> this one has some red glowy shit in it. You know what would have told me it was a metal? A metal. <laughs> but if if she's giving him a prize as well, hmm. meaning politically the Jedi can't maybe punish him in the way that they want to because he's seen as a hero. That's interesting. That could lead into something in the next film. And then Palpatine would be like, oh, you got screwed there. Never trust the Jedi. Bye. Yeah. There are so many good choices and so many good things you could have done with these last sequences. And he, I also, you know, he I, just kind of, like, like Anakin, he just coasts into the final act of this movie trying to make as few waves as possible, which to me is weird. I, I Yeah. And now, now I'm even thinking of a, of, of an alternative ending. I'd like to see where instead of Chewbacca turning up in revenge of the Sith, he's in the edge of the, sh of the final shot next to Anakin. <laughs> and when Anakin doesn't get a medal, he looks at him and is like, hurts, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> it really sucks. Right. <laughs> There are moments in this movie, Tom. One thing that really surprised me, and it was so funny to listen to in the commentary. I mean, it's going back in the movie. I think it's when they're still on Coruscant. Oh, and, Jesus Christ. And Jar, Jar Jar gives a little, whoopee, let's go back home. Yeah, when they're Weeza going to go home. back to Naboo. Yeah. Weeza going home. And the, the camera in that moment is a little shaky. Like it kind of falls right and then comes it back. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, you're right. It kind of flops. It flops with Jar Jar. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> that was Lucas a that was saying, a famous exercise video of the time. Flop with Jar Jar. Yeah, no, literally, they were saying Jar Jar was. You know, they the thing about Jar Jar was you had to move the camera a little bit and make it seem like it was a documentary, what? so that Fuck. he would look more believable. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, some of these shots are just so. It lacks anything other than documentary feel yeah. that when you see that moment, you just think that is really out of place and weird. Yeah. What are you doing? Like right the C-3PO, there? you know, cinema verite Point of view, moment. exactly. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. It's jarring, like you say. And so... You so 50% of this battle is won by slapstick. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, totally. So the stakes the are other, already low the other... and they're even lower <laughs> knowing that this battle is won entirely arbitrarily. The rest, the rest of it is won by two hidden blasters. Right, two, two, two hidden. I tell you what, I do like, and you will probably not be surprised to learn why. Go ahead. The ascension guns. I do like that. And you know why I like that? Mm, why? Goldeneye. Oh well, all right, yeah. Fine. That's how Goldeneye starts when he's. Yeah. I know how Golden Eyes so starts. We, so the so we start with Connery Bond and you pander with, to me, asshole. We start they start the movie with. Thunderball, we end it with Goldeneye. Yeah. We go from I also Connery like to Brosnan. The, they were moving at a pace. You, I think you talked about how, you know, kind of rushed this movie ended up having to be made. Yeah. And they go at a pace, if you notice, that, that when they first use those grappling guns, yeah. there's a guy second from the left who just kind of, it kind of gets held behind yeah, yeah. everybody else as they're shooting. Good enough. And, let's move on. 
and yeah, Lucas is like, so what we had to do was in the next scene when they're really, we had to seem like he was going fast at the <laughs> in the next shot to catch up with them because just we weren't, weren't able to make it work and we had to move on, but we had to account for it. I'm amazed that it didn't cross his mind to do what he did with other shots in this movie where he just literally photoshopped people out and mm-hmm. put different shots from different takes in. Yeah, because they did that in. Uh, uh, they put Captain Panaka. They put a different take of Captain Panaka in a cockpit scene. Mm. With the with the actors in and because they liked what one of them were doing from another scene, but not what the others were doing. So why didn't he just scrub that guy out? I don't know. And replace it with like a farting banther or something. <laughs> They all go up and a piece of shit falls down. Let's talk um, Duel of the Fates. Yeah. Because it begins with a, it begins with the full reveal of Darth Maul's design. Mm-hmm. We find out he has horns. Mm-hmm. And, and a double lightsaber because he's only using half of it the first time we see him. Right. And it's just like... And so that's new. Yeah, and it's it's kind of quite striking... But we know that we know that going in because there's the shot in the preview of him this mo this moment. Yeah, if you've seen the tra- yeah, and they didn't. But they, you know, it was an era where they didn't care about those kinds of spoilers. Right. I just mean in the context of the movie. Yeah, because you know your mind, especially if <laughs> you're not seeing what you expected to see, you would have forgotten that this was in the trailer, and you you could still be conceivably yeah. surprised. Like, oh, surprised. it's a double lightsaber. And, um, Can I ask you something? Sure. I don't want you to, but go ahead. I think I spoke to this in the last... I, I think I spoke to this in the last episode, but I can't remember if I did. Because Did we talk about his dying at the end of this fight? Because to me, this is another tragic mistake. Is it? I... What? I think it is. I Like, why... To, in my mind, I thought, listen, we spent the first three movies hating Darth Vader, mm. and then Jedi pulls oh, off Oh, you mean Darth miraculous... Maul, absolutely. Yeah, I thought you were talking Darth about Maul. Qui-Gon, and I was trying to figure out what... No, 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 no. No, not Qui-Gon. Sorry. <laughs> Good. Okay. Yes, I, abso- I absolutely agree. Why can't he... Why couldn't he... Well... Yeah, l- like, let's we'll start, with Christopher, we... start with Christopher Lee, you know? Or... Yeah, right. Have him in all three movies, uh, or work on this guy. Because Darth Maul doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, and I really would have liked to have hated him and seen what he did over the course of three movies. But that's the curse of Star Wars, because then... Then you have to write a backstory for him, and then we see three prequels that involve... Well, more or less, how yeah. How he became I mean, he Darth comes Maul. back in Clone Wars, because yeah. he, he doesn't die. Spoiler alert. Right. He doesn't die, he just gets robot legs, and then, you know, he and then Darth Vader end up dueling in various comics and TV shows later on, and he's in, right. he turns up in Solo, he's a, now like a Jabba-like gangster. Uh, so, mm-hmm. it's like, you think you want to see it, but when you actually see it, you realise, no, that was good. I was good with him dying when he did. What do you think of the fight? What do you think of the fight? Overall, I think it's a fantastic fight. I, I, I mean, it's very movie... practical. They're all doing what they're supposed yeah, to be doing. They're all There's doing no that digital work. trickery there. And Ray Park and and Ewan McGregor, apparently, they were going at it so hard, they were bending their actual yeah. 
saber hilts in half. Yeah. That's how hard they were working. And you can see it all on screen, and it does look great. I think the movie labors to try yeah. and separate the characters. There, I, I don't. And it's you know. also it's it's different because it's straight up martial arts, which is something the movies only flirted with. Before, right, right. The you know the occasional mm-hmm. ninja flip from Luke is as far yeah. as we've gone, and this is full on. But it always feels more grounded than the shit they're doing in this movie. Well, not because in this they were sequence. More limited. I think I talked in about this that. sequence. It feels more grounded than it ever has because. Then you know, then in the other movies, because they're viscerally doing everything at at the Mm -hmm. highest speed and quality we've ever seen from a piece of action in this series, and it's in silence, which is good. Well, not silence, but you know, just using music. Right. Too much, too much uh, choir on that, but I'll let it pass. (laughs) Okay. But but Williams Williams didn't. That was another Lucas choice. Oh, yeah, originally Williams scored it as it started with a little bit of choir and then faded out, and Lucas was like, "No, keep out. it going through the entire song." So I'm not going to blame Williams for mm. that. Um, it's a great piece of music. Yeah, uh, and it, you know that one of the choices that Lucas made that I admire is that he heard this bit of music and said, "Oh, I want this to be a re- the recurring theme of the trilogy. I want this to come back in every movie at a certain right. point thematically. Yeah. And I think that that when you see at the end of Revenge of the City, you go, oh, okay. That's yeah. what that's right. what it meant. That's what that piece of music meant. Which is mm-hmm. what Lucas was going for. Because there's a little bit of choir there's I a little it's... bit of choir in the Return of the Jedi soundtrack. Yeah, the that kind of oh <laughs> Well, that's a foghorn, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, that's it. You know the oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to attempt it, and then I stopped you, because I thought I'd sound stupid. Because you heard me do it, and you were like, ooh, definitely not trying that now. Ooh. But, it, you know, it's funny because, I mean, I spoke before about how much I like the pod race, yeah. and and... The pod race and this fight, along with some, a couple of technical things, is why this movie tops my list. Yeah. Uh, the pod race and this fight are that yeah, good. Yeah, And then, in addition, I think the one thing this movie has over other movies, and this is a purely aesthetic thing that I just like more, it's shot on film, and it makes a difference for me. I think it looks better. And then they are actually using more locations, and I, that matters to yeah. me as well. And so yeah. it's about what you value, the, and the, that's all reasonable. That it, it it gives a general appeal that makes me like the movie the most. Hmm. But this fight goes a long way towards, uh, you know, me loving this movie, and not loving this movie, but like liking this movie more than. And the it's others. not, you know, this it. it Pays, Loving that yeah, scene. It pays off um, uh, emotionally, too, because, you know, we're so viscerally engaged with what's going on that when Qui-Gon gets mm-hmm. laser-sorted, it's really funny. Whenever Lucas talks about Star Wars mythology, he uses the wrong words, I think on purpose. I think he's trolling everyone. He keeps calling them laser-swords. Just swords. to bother yeah. people. Get back. Um <laughs> 
the, the you know suddenly the movie has stakes and emotion and everyone see like everyone's so it seems like all the characters are so hepped up from this fight <laughs> that they're starting to act yeah like, exactly <laughs> obi-wan's reaction to qui-gon dying is is again it's like the 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 most acting done in the entire movie right <laughs> and it's out of character for him because he's been sort of shown to be a sort of boy scout up to this point yeah right i think it i think it all works and you know the, i like the sort of i don't know how deliberate this was but the whole meditation and preparing for death which i don't know if they're trying to mm-hmm. call back to back and forward to obi-wan to star to wars obi-wan and what Obi-Wan, he did yeah i feel like I feel like if they meant to, they would have made it more specific. But um, they eventually decide that that's him preparing to become a Force ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this moment, I think it just works in the way that it changes the pace of the fight. And... Yeah, absolutely. And again, just like really great silent movie. I making. mean, it, within the <laughs> yeah, exactly within the scope of just this scene, it just seems as though he's recentering yeah. himself. Yeah, and, ta- and, and taunting. Darth Maul, I think, a little yeah. bit as well. Yeah. But I do lament not getting to know Darth Maul more. Especially before he in, had Robo In this likes. movie. No, especially before that. <laughs> but I haven't actually, I you know, I've heard about no, that, I of course, but any. I haven't seen any of that. There's a great story they tell on Star Wars Minute about um, uh, one of the guests said they were into a screening of Solo, and then they have the Darth <laughs> Maul cameo at the end. And you know the 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 credits roll, the lights go up, and then two people in the audience going, I, "I thought he was dead. Didn't we see him die in the Phantom Menace?" And then there's a one of the guys is like cleaning up, and he's like, "No, so he came back in Clone Wars, and he had robot legs." It's just like that's the definition of having to explain something in a film. If you need one of the guys who works there to explain right. it to you afterwards, there was not enough narrative information there. That's great. It seems like a missed opportunity to have oh the Obi-Wan didn't inherit Qui-Gon's green lightsaber. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, why do we go from green to blue and back to green again? Yeah, his is gone. Yeah. Although I'm sure we'll say plenty about the colors of lightsabers when we get to the next film. Oh boy, <laughs> will we? Uh, no choice. And I, I do think it must it's the it's really the final kicker for Obi Wan that his master calls him over to say his last words and make sure you train that kid I just met. It's like what about mm-hmm. me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, about the, what about me? I've been your I've been I've been your Padawan for ye- been your loyal partner. Yeah. Probably for you know thirty seven years because I, that, I apparently that's how I Jedi know work I know now it I don't know timeline doesn't bear thinking about maybe that's when Obi Wan <laughs> decided he was going to try and kill Anakin. The other funny thing about Jedi that I like a little side story that I think is hilarious is way back in nineteen seventy seven Mark Hamill had apparently said to George Lucas, well, what if I grew my hair out a little longer and did like a little ponytail and tried to make myself look more, you know, samurai-like? He's like, fuck you. You're not doing that. That's stupid. And then apparently Mark Hamill saw this movie and cut to this movie. He's like, that fucking asshole. He took all my ideas. <laughs> you should you should have seen what, they were, what hairstyle they were originally going to give Anakin. 
And Obi-Wan for that oh. matter. Jesus. We got off lightly <laughs> both times. Okay. Again, we you know, we have it's a legal definition of Obi-Wan thinking he could train Anakin. But that's not what the original movie was getting at. No, not at all. This is like the biggest thing that bothers me the most about this I movie. I thought I could He's train Anakin. To... It's like, no, you were emotionally blackmailed into doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By... I don't I don't understand this choice. Yes. And not only that, I don't understand the Jedi deciding it's okay to train him. It should be in defiance. It should be him well, kind but of they separating feel bad. himself. They sort of sent Qui-Gon to his death. That's how I always read it. The Jedi are cold motherfuckers. They don't care. Why would they care now? Because there's no evidence that the Jedi should care about Because they're starting to realize that, you know, one more rogue Jedi and you end up with a Count Dooku. But they don't even know about Count Dooku yet. <laughs> and who is Sifo-Dyas? No idea. <laughs> don't know. Still don't know. <laughs> I looked that one up, I recall. As I was watching the movie, I thought, who the fuck is this? And I was just, I was like, okay, well, I, I didn't, I don't know anything. Yeah, of that. I, I, yeah. When the information came that's up, like, I was well, like, oh, none that's, of, that's not yeah, in anything. None, none of these other words are making any sense. Um, yeah, exactly. But anyway, I, I really wanted, I wanted Obi-Wan to make a yeah. choice. There are no choices for the characters in this no, movie. No, he has no choice. What he an interesting no choice. choice it would be. Yeah. If he decided on his own that he was going to do this. Yeah. And it was in defiance of, of the Jedi. It also makes, you know. And the, and the moment he becomes a Jedi, he does this thing. Mm. And then where that could lead us in the second film. But, yeah. you know, for a man with so much imagination, George, George Lucas didn't want to take that far of a leap with his characters. Sort of happens by accident. He had no imagination yeah. for. Yeah. I mean, it accident, just. Yeah. And it, and it grains against direct dialogue from that first movie, which just well, grains against me. You've got to believe that Obi-Wan's telling the truth, which, you know, based <laughs> on based on his behavior historically, might not be the case. Right. <laughs> Ian McDermott then steals the film with one line. We'll follow your career with great interest. <laughs> it's also I think it's it's like the like the prequelness of this movie generally doesn't work like there's too much dramatic irony people people's dialogue is devoted to mentioning something that will happen is plainly that obvious will happen in the next well that too but look will happen in as will happen in star wars but they don't know it's going to happen but we do like yeah. that's the thing and this is a, this is one of those examples but it's sort of subtle and smooth enough and quick right it's just like you just go oh yeah that's right he's the emperor that's darth vader but you don't have to think about yeah. it for too long and it doesn't spoil anything Meanwhile, they're all just watching a body burn. By yeah, the way, yeah, we but we burn Qui Gon. Yeah, I also like that the, the the there's a there's a a shot of Palpatine arriving as Newt Gunray's taken away. So it's like the bad guys get taken away, right. while the real bad guy gets away with it, <laughs> and then he's made mm -hmm. Chancellor. He ascends to a position of power that he never leaves, and this is one of two significant events that happen in the entire film. Yeah. 
him becoming chancellor. And it happens in the last two minutes. And this is my bombshell. Okay, go ahead. The best way. I'm not going to talk for an hour. The best way to follow the prequel trilogy is through Palpatine thinking of him as the hero. (laughs) Because he achieves all his goals. He does, yes. You're right. He is the hero of this film. (laughs) Yeah. Technically. That's great. What if Lucas had shifted focus to that idea? Like do the like Joker or Cruella, but with Palpatine? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, right. you know how exactly. I would like it. I'm surprised it hasn't been done already. Look, yeah. Timothy Chalamet is <laughs> uh, young Palpatine. <laughs> young Palpatine, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Or just, or just Sheev. Yeah. <laughs> the Sheev show. Oh my. Yeah, they burn Qui-Gon. Obvious visual crossover with Vader's funeral. Without without the mm-hmm. toxic fumes, of course. Yeah, less plastic. And then we get another retcon of the Vader-Emperor relationship. It gets even less special than it turned out to be when Yoda says, the Sith always <laughs> two there are. And I'm like, yeah. so really, it's about making up the numbers. It's not got anything to do with... Right. The Emperor doesn't really want Darth Vader, and Darth Vader doesn't really want to be with the Emperor. It just has to it be has two. It has to be two, and they have to be constantly trying to kill the other one. <laughs> I tell you, it's it's not a it's not a good idea for a for a Sith program. Yeah. And given that it's like part of their mythology, I'm surprised it takes Christopher Lee by such surprise, but anyway. Right. <laughs> yes. He seems like he should be sage and wise really enough does. to have figured this out. He's beforehand. ninety years old by that point. Yeah. Oggy's Municipal Band lead the celebration. (laughs) It's like Scott. (laughs) Kind of that, yeah. I can do it if you want. I don't want to put it in your head for the rest of the week. You know, when you did that right now, it sounded very much like Mortal Kombat. They're very similar. <laughs> Phantom yeah. Menace. Now that would have improved this movie. Uh, we get the, we the get Elsa. the color coded Gungans. Apparently, there's more colors of Gungans mm-hmm. than we've seen before. Uh, and you get the orb medals. The orb medals, which I didn't know until you said it. The, or orb. I metal. thought it was just like you know the gold telephone in Godfather. Because it's only one, and it goes to the boss. Because yeah. they don't even look happy about receiving it. It looks like the gold telephone. Well, he the does. The telephone and he's like, oh, ah, boss, boss he's Nass lifting is it up a and lunatic. Boss he's Nass is loving it. Prime blessing. He's a lunatic. <laughs> but it's like the gold telephone in Godfather Two. They're just passing. They're just so like politely passing it around. Well, and I, I always, you know, I kind of Mandela affected the end of this movie for myself because this is a, just a direct pull for Star Wars for me. This is the metal yeah. moment. Except no medals, one orb. But I really thought everyone. I thought Jar Jar got an orb. I thought for sure that Anakin got an orb, and it's just one big orb for Boss NASA. That's it. Done. Yeah, it's the ah, beginning of Gungan integration was, into uh, Nabooian society. Yeah, into into Naboo, Naboo, Naboo life. There's Queen Amidala's two sexual smile. 
at Anakin. <laughs> yes, very and then much something so. which I genuinely think they they were they were trying to establish at this point and taught themselves out of in the next two movies, which is that there's going to be a love triangle of Padme, Anakin, and Obi Wan because of how they're all standing yeah, right. in relation to each other. And because there's dialogue in the third movie that oh the third the third movie that only makes sense if they've been part of a love triangle, yeah. right? Yeah, it's the classic one shot, isn't it? But it, every time mm-hmm. I see it, I have the same thought. It just makes me think how low stakes this was compared to previous endings, the yeah. original. Because while you've yeah. got Star Wars, you've got the Death Stars blown up, Empire Strikes Back, you've right. got well we survived, and then. Mm-hmm. Jeter and the Jedi, the Death Star's blown up. Um, yeah. <laughs> now th- this is like we we resolved a trade dispute. We 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 resolved a trade on dispute. One but there's one thing. I, there's one thing I am going to give to this movie. Actually, to this entire portion of the trilogy, yeah. because between the first trilogy and then the last trilogy. Yeah. The one thing Lucas does that's I think is really smart, there's no giant thing you have to blow up. He get, oh. he tries to get away from that. Oh. And really, even really he that's that something around. he fucked up. I like it. That's something he fucked up himself, you know, in the first trilogy where he just brings back the Death Star. And so all the bad tendency of that last trilogy you could blame Lucas for because he did it yeah. himself, but he really tries to get away from it in this trilogy and I respect Too that. Much too much getting away from it. <laughs> no you're abs- you're absolutely right that's as you're saying that sounds like something that that i should have said as someone who as someone who <laughs> likes these movies i think you're absolutely right i think that's that's you can see it as a as a purposeful inversion that is of a, of merit mm-hmm. but again that just that hinders it well like everything else that hinders tr- it from being from launching a trilogy, you know, it it's it doesn't effectively launch the trilogy. It should be a yeah. standalone movie, for that very reason. Well, and I I think it applies to to the whole front trilogy in effect well, because not really, I mean, a bunch of shit happened. I mean, there's higher stakes in the next two movies for sure. No, yeah, you're right about that. I just meant specifically about getting away, like trying this different thing and doing the inversion. I've lost my train of thought. I don't even know. What no, you're, you, about you're right. You, you don't talk. Your, <laughs> no, don't talk yourself out of there. I think it's, I think it's the most. Br- I had a point you, to make and no, I you forgot. made it. You, you, I think, I think you, I think it's the most brilliant thing that's been said over these many hours. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not I even joking. In, I got it in I'm under the e- wire. I'm not even joking. I never thought about it in that light, but it, it it's totally purposeful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> You'd like one one big orb of death destroyed. Yeah, it was ac- it was it was one of the blue bombs that was there, taken there by <laughs> <Yeah>. mistaken. <laughs> the only one that survived. And that's how Anakin became Darth Vader. He was always a little crisp <laughs> thing in a robot. So he'd be like the stewy Darth Vader. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, credit check. Yeah. Big one? I don't know if it's that big. Certainly not compared to how long the rest of it's taken. I I have one credit check note, but it'll I'll save it till 
sort of the end because it comes last okay. in the actual credits. I'll let well I'll let you round us out then. Written, uh, yeah, written and directed by George Lucas. I mean, you know, wow. the, yeah, the that most, says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> this <laughs> probably the least surprising credit in the entirety of cinema. <laughs> Once again, we said this about the the original trilogy. The billing is absurd. Mm-hmm. Ahmed Best, Anthony Daniels, and Kenny Baker, nominally sidekicks, but are the stars of this movie. Right. And then Terrence Stamp gets name recognition over Ian McDermott. So it just must have been contractual. That's crazy. It must have been yeah. like right, which is interesting because you know Terrence Stamp was in Superman two and all the sort of billing shenanigans there. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the end of the cast list, it's just voices, and yeah. it struck me yeah. that this is the point <laughs> at which more and more actors, and probably to this day, are appearing in Star Wars movies as voices only. I mean, one of the most famous Star Wars characters is just a voice. Yeah, Pedro sure. Pascal is the Mandalorian. He's not there. Right. Um, well, and James Earl the... Jones. I mean, we're this yeah, whole thing's about becoming Darth Vader. So, thanks to all the UK construction crew, which is, this is back in the days where we'd rather shorten the credits than thank everyone. Yeah. Right. Um, visual effects crew fueled by Michael Smith of Java the Hutt, which yeah. was a originally a Simpsons joke that then turned into reality. Someone actually. Oh, what Simpsons? When? They had is there a, a Java, Java the Hut. There's uh, a Java the Hut, yeah, in the Simpsons oh, episode. So okay. someone made it a reality. Uh, special thanks to the people of Tataqueen. Good. Which I assume <laughs> Great. is Tatooine. Oh, yes. I was because thinking... this is in the part where they talk about Tunisia. Mm-hmm. So basically, they were like, "What should we call it? What was the place we filmed in called? Tataqueen. Tatooine. Fine." Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I remember seeing that credit. Yes. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Because I Um, ended up, I remember I paused it and I started looking up shit on the Internet. I was like, wait, what what are these places actually called? What's going on? What's happening? Is your credit check about the breathing? No. Okay. So we get the Vader theme. Yeah. And the the Darth Vader breathing. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was, this spoke to some of the marketing around this movie, which I haven't brought up yet, but, you know, I remember... I I haven't brought something up about the marketing of this movie that I wanted to bring up either. I remember a cardboard cutout poster that was in all the movie theaters I went to, which was Jake Lloyd... Yeah, um, standing at the the sand with the... And then the the shadow of Vader Vader around That's what I wanted to talk about. And I feel like... And I feel like that is this is the audio equivalent of that. Because mm. I always felt like that poster is the only reason George Lucas wanted to cast someone so young for <laughs> for that poster. Well, you know, it's the height difference that really makes it. Because if it's a really little kid, then the shadow being that big would really be something, right? Because it would it's really like... be uh, uh, a terrible, terrible tragedy. <laughs> That's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> so and just just to end on another George Lucas quote, uh, I I you know I I can't recommend the making of Phantom Menace documentary enough, and it's all official. It's all made by Lucasfilm. So, mm-hmm. and but they it doesn't seem like they left anything out. And uh, he goes to a screening of the rough cut, 
And he sits in the theater, and as the lights go down, he said, I think I may have gone too far this time. <laughs> Honestly. That is fantastic. And you, you feel because the sense I, in the room. Like, because like, I wouldn't think he'd even have the sense, enough sense yeah. to say that. I think in, in, in context, he might have been talking about pacing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the conversation afterwards makes me think, oh, he does. He's not talking about the things that we think he's talking about. I yeah. think he's talking about like the movie goes too fast, which is not something that in its final released version anyone has anyone ever said. said. Yeah. <laughs> Should I tell you mine now? Oh, go ahead. Well, one of the last credit credit things I noticed as the movie was ending, it said. If you experienced any condition that detracted from the theatrical presentation of this film, call and it gave a number. And I wondered how many calls they got that said, this movie fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just opened themselves up. And of course, he was talking about technical shit. But, but I wonder true. how many people called and yeah. complained on that number. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that phone line was famous for harboring calls about the quality of the movies not the quality of the presentation yeah <laughs> and it, it was i think people i think it's been suspected that thx did that as a way of reducing the amount of people complaining about theatrical presentation mm. so, that's great i like it yeah. i like it a lot well anything yeah. left no that's uh that's everything all right right down to the last breath well, of the movie God damn it, we did it. We did. Look at us. <laughs> We've nothing to be proud of, but we did it. <laughs> I'm a I'm a pile of sweat at the end of this one. Absolutely. And I don't I don't think it's all just heat related. Big pile of java juice. Yeah. All right. This was a good talk. It was more than a talk. I mean, <laughs> You know, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple it was of really. A tra- it, it was a transcript. It was a, it was a couple of big ass Senate speeches. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what are you proposing? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. No, you your instincts were correct. <laughs> you know, the other day, not to take us to other tangent. The other day, uh-huh. I, I've been doing. Um, I've been doing Simpsons impressions for my son. Oh, nice. Because he's been watching The Simpsons and, you know, I, I do my, I throw out my crusty and I throw mm-hmm. out my comic book store guy. And right. He was like, can you do the guy who runs the shop? And I start doing comic book store guy. And he's like, no, 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 no. Oh, no, oh, no. Quickie Marts. And I went, <laughs> and I was like, uh, can't do that anymore. And he's yeah. like, why, why? <laughs> and it was like, um, <laughs> I just can't. It would be hard for you to understand. Yeah. It's like, but it's like, but I can watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I I was listening to some podcast the other day and Bill Hader was talking about a bunch of movies he loved as you know mm. a kid and I think one of them he was he was talking about watching the movies he loved with his kids his three girls and they watch Goonies and the girls would say something like, why don't the fucking girls do anything in this movie and he's like no she plays the piano and helps them save she goes that's bullshit <laughs> you mm-hmm. know he's she's right she's 100 percent right <laughs> and he said so eventually he had to just stop, start telling his three daughters look 
these movies were made for me. Yeah. For yeah. me, specifically. <laughs> yeah. Like, just me. Just a male boy my age. <laughs> well, if I ever show my son James Bond, he will just be, like, after every scene, I'll go, now, don't ever do that. Yeah. Exactly. You don't ever treat a woman that way, okay? That ever, ever, ever. <laughs> but again, he'd be like, "But I, but I can watch it." Yeah. Yes. Just be aware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's part one of what are going to be some lengthy talks about uh, these Star Wars prequels. Boy, do they deserve it. That's that thank is. You, thank you for coming to our TED talk. Yeah, Phantom of the Menace in the books. Phantom of the Menace. Huh? Did Phantom I say that? Of the Menace? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of preferred even that title. <laughs> Phantom of the Menace. More better description of what happens in the movie. <laughs> no, you might be right. We get the Phantom of Menace, but not actual Menace. Right. <laughs> Sorry. The Phantom Menace is in the books. Coming up next, Attack of the Clones. You're going to have to tell us what you think about Phantom of... <laughs> the Opera? Again. Yeah, Phantom of... <laughs> God damn it. If wanna... you can't say it twice in succession, that means it's a bad title. I think, I think that's the rule. <laughs> if you want to tell us what you think of the Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace... <laughs> find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Gotta send an email. <laughs> send us that email to everythingsequel.gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Shantz here, giggling. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Like I said, up next, Attack of the Clones. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Maxi beat the force. That's male sticky with. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna challenge you. Are you gonna go Jar Jar in the next movie? Because you're gonna have to start searching far and wide for lines. You're gonna get at least one in, I bet. I could do. <laughs> also, this line, Jar Jar may well be being ironic. It's impossible to tell. Oh, we could never know. All right, everyone, that's it. Maxi big like a maxi pad? <laughs> Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>